0: A lifetime original podcast.
1: This episode covers topics that include murder and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, forgive me because I think some of our listeners from Truly Darkly Creeply remember this, but I want to establish it for our Crime of a Lifetime listeners. Do you remember when
0: you controlled my dating app? <laughs> Yes, you let me on, and I got to— And I would say I was very open about it. Like, I would tell the guys that were interested in courting you, this isn't actually Carrie, this is her friend Quinn— I'm picking who she's going to go on dates with because she historically has proven to not be you know great what? at that. You know Chill
1: out. I don't like this defamation of me. You know, I got to tell you, <laughs> dating apps. It's what happened. Okay, but th- I will say the one guy, and we're not going to say any names because I forgot his name.
0: Of course not. But the one guy <laughs> you chose was terrible. Yeah. Do you remember? I did choose him based on looks, which is what I would do if I had been in the hot seat. And um, I have no regrets about it. Um, And then you found out he was an actor,
1: which I am. And you were like, I'm so sorry. Carrie cannot be with me. And I shut him down. And then he wrote back. Do you remember like the craziest thing? He like wrote back. He was like, how dare you? And you were like, dude, I'm an actor. I just don't want an actor for Carrie. (laughs) It's very, very Yeah, strange. I was like, I have
0: nothing against actors except that they should never be partnered with anyone. And I include myself in that.
1: <laughs> and your husband is a? <laughs> actor. Okay, great. But Just checking. See, okay, I speak yes. from experience. I speak from experience. <laughs> I've only dated actors. All my ex-boyfriends are actors. Coincidence? I think Not. Part of the problem. Part of the problem. And to be part of the solution, you got to give Quinn your dating app. No, I mean, I think what's so hard about dating apps for me, and I listen, I know I need to get back on the horse. I do. I know. But I'm in a bit in flux right now, so I'm not really active. I think I still have a profile up. But I think what's crazy about it is it's – to me, I don't like the pressure of – this is going to sound so silly, but I don't like the what? pressure of being like, hey, I'm looking for a boyfriend, you're looking for a girlfriend, and we meet on a date. It just isn't organic. It doesn't feel natural, and the pressure of it feels so hard. Not to mention- totally. there's too much on the line. There's so much on the line, not to mention just being a woman navigating the dating space. Um, it's f-ing dangerous. And I'm going to say that because I think we can bleep it. And also because I want to emphatically say how scary it is to be a single person. I mean, how many times I like share my location with everyone. I tell, like I send the dating app picture of who I'm going to meet to my friends constantly. It's just like, and then like the story that we're going to do today for me only like, I don't know. Makes you more anxious to be on the app? It just reaffirms my anxiety about the apps.
0: That's how it feels. Well, I would say not everyone out there on the apps is looking to kill you, but unfortunately... There are some.
1: There are some. And that is enough. let's get right into (laughs) it. The fact is, is there's not all of them, but just some of them, and that some of them is actually enough to be afraid of all of them. And that's math. Let's get into it.
0: I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming
1: all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy.
0: Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
1: I'm going to take you to August 31st, 2016. So, in terms of stories, this doesn't happen that long ago. This is pretty recent. So 2016, that's a hot minute That's a ago. hot second ago. I i was just there. <laughs> i It was before I had bangs. No, I won't say that because that was a trying time for anyone involved. I don't need to talk about my bangs. <laughs> no, but 2016. It was
0: BB, before bangs.
1: <laughs> and we are AB, after bangs, after bangs. So this story actually doesn't take place that long ago. It is August 31st, 2016, and I want to introduce you to Robin Daphne Michelle West. A lot of names, a lot of personality, this one. She's 19 years old, and it's 11 o'clock at night. And she is going out on the town with her friend to an area in Newark, New Jersey, and their goal for the night is to look for some sex work right? So she goes out with her friend. They're together, I think for safety at this point as well. And her friend is now telling this account. So what we have is her friend's eyewitness account. Her friend recalls that she's with her friend, Robin, and a silver sedan pulls up and stops in front of Robin. Robin chats with the guy. She gets in and it seems like these two women are really close and they do this thing that I think is really smart. And I think Quinn, I think we've done this before in our own way, which is to say her friend takes a look at the car. She looks at the license plate number and she writes it in her phone and saves it as a contact. Right? So it's like, they're Mm -hmm. doing this, you know, they're out looking for a sex work, but they still are there to protect each other and look out for their friends. So she writes
0: down this guy's license plate number And as... Sex worker or not, this is a good idea when anyone you know is getting into a car they don't know.
1: I mean, if you use a ride share, it's like, I'm for sure sharing my ride. I am for sure sending a picture of the license plate. All of that stuff Mm -hmm. is just smart to protect ourselves. So it's... Ugh, this next part makes me really sad. But her friend sees Robin drive away in this silver sedan, and she calls out to the car. She says... Be careful with my sister because I love her. And sadly, that is the last time anyone saw Robin alive.
0: Right. So this is August 31st. No one knows what happened. So she's reported missing September 1st. And... Like Carrie said, they've got this plate number, so they give it to the police, and they're able to find the person very quickly that picked her up in the silver sedan. It's a 20-year-old guy named Khalil Wheeler Weaver, and the police get in touch with him and interview him, and he says, this is where I picked Robin up. That is true. I don't dispute it, but I will tell you that this is where I dropped her off, and she was alive.
1: What the police don't know when they're conducting these interviews is that the body of Robin Daphne Michelle West has already been found because in the very, very early hours of September 1st, 2016, firefighters get a call to a fire at an abandoned property. And while they're fighting this fire, they find remains in this place and they cannot identify this person. It is so badly burned that the only way that they're able to identify the remains of this body is through dental records.
0: Yeah. It takes them two weeks. I mean, that's a really long time. Um, and then now we're two weeks later, September 13th, she would have just turned 20 years old and they're like, it's Robin. Um, because they don't have any reason to hold him. Khalil Wheeler Weaver is let go that day
1: joanne brown she is 33 years old and she's living in union township which is um in new jersey <laughs> i don't know why i paused for oh, that i think it's in new jersey i'm pretty sure pause union for effect t- pause for effect she's in new jersey new jersey okay so she's 33 years old she's living in union township in new jersey and um she also is a sex worker she's also an exotic dancer um And this worries her friends and just a little bit about her past. She has struggled with drug use and she does have a history of mental health issues. But what I think is so important about Joanne Brown is that she's really trying to better herself. She's really trying to get better, right? She she ends up moving into a building which is run by Project Live, which is a nonprofit that offers housing, drug treatment, and counseling.
0: And she's really trying— Wait. I thought it was Project Live. I just pictured it oh as like Oh my god, I'm sure it's Project Live instead of like live from the project. Wait, that's
1: so embarrassing. It's you trying to get off drugs. This is how you know. Like, like, wow, tell me I'm an actor without telling me I'm an actor. <laughs> wow, I said live project and not live. live. Can I say thank god this podcast isn't live? <laughs> 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 Carrie's an idiot. Okay. So she moves into a building run by Project Live, not live. And like I said, it's a nonprofit, and they offer housing, drug treatment, and counseling. And this goes to show you just that she really is working on, you know, finding a better life for herself.
0: On October 22nd, 2016, Joanne Brown is getting into the car of a John, um, and she is not a dummy. She does this carefully. She calls her friends from her phone to check in with her. She's like, basically, give me a call while I'm doing this. Keep an eye on me. But the night that she disappears, she's getting into this car with a John and she's lent her phone to a friend. So her usual way to stay safe is not available to her. She does not have her phone with her. And she gets in this car and is like, ooh, this might have been... A bad call. Not that she's, like, necessarily sensing anything wrong. We don't really know. But we do know that when she gets in the car, she is like, my usual system is not available to me at this time. No, but she does something really smart. She still wants to protect herself, tell her friends where she's going. So
1: Joanne actually borrows the John's phone to call her friend.
0: Which genius?
1: Genius! It's actually way s- better. Yeah, exactly. Way better.
0: Yeah, it's like leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. Totally. I mean, that's a really smart way to track what's going on and to make the person you're with, the John, yeah, know that be a little more out like cognizant you. of somebody knows your number, man, and they're percent. not in this car, and you're not in control of them. I think what's also
1: interesting to know, and I want to note this, is that this is not a late night, you know. um, meetup, right like this is happening at 1:30 in the afternoon. so it's light out I think also that sort of lends to this idea or perception of safety, right You're, there's there's mm-hmm, the sun out, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So Joanne calls her friend to tell her, hey, I'm in this car um, I'll be home later tonight. I'll call you to let you know that I'm okay And now Joanna does not return that night but her friend does get a call back from that same number. And she picks up the phone, and it's silence. Her friend does not say I'm okay. No guy says I have your friend. It's just silence on the line.
0: Yeah, I don't like that. I yeah, that would have worried me right away. I'm sure it worried this friend. And then she's right to be worried because Joanne is reported missing a month later. I don't know what that lag time is. Well, a I month? think.
1: Well, I think it's listen. I think this person was in a vulnerable space, right? I think this person has dealt with mental health issues, some some drug abuse, you know, substance abuse problems. Mm -hmm. So it's like I think when this person goes missing, I don't know if this person has, you know, a real close circle who would notice she's gone, and so it takes a full yeah. I just am surprised
0: that friend isn't nervous right away. Um, But I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. On December 5th, 2016, Joanne's body is found in a vacant house in Newark. And it's actually a contractor that stumbles upon her. And this must have been so scary, so horrific, because when he finds her, she's been tightly wrapped in duct tape all over her mouth and face, and she's been strangled with a jacket. And it looks as though all this took place right inside that vacant house.
1: And listen, I we could, you know, hold on to this longer, but I think we're just going to tell you who did it because we want to get into this guy and who he is. And we'll tell you right now that the same person who killed Robin also killed Joanne, and his name yep. is Khalil
0: Wheeler Weaver. Khalil is, I mean, in my mind, a kid, 20, yeah. 20 years old, living at home, uh, and living at home while committing these crimes. And it's not like he lives at home and it's this really um, violent, horrible environment. You know, sometimes we cover uh, killers like this and, and then we're able to explain to you like how they've been neglected and abused their entire life. And that's not the image I get. This seems like he comes from a good family. It seems like there's a lot of nice families in this nice neighborhood. There's a lot of elderly couples Um It reminds me of my neighborhood. It's a lot of historic homes, and there's, uh, I don't, it gives me neighborhood vibes with crime watch community signs. I picture the neighborhood in (laughs) E.T. I don't know why, but that's the neighborhood in my mind while I tell this story. Wait, this is 2016. E.T. was in the 80s. What? It's the same neighborhood in my mind. Whenever I picture (laughs) crime watch community signs, I picture the 80s, I think.
1: You know what? That does make sense. I think what what's also yeah. and you you mentioned it a bit. I think again we cover these cases, and usually we can have an anecdote about sort of the hard life or some traumatic mm-hmm. event that would lead someone to to turn to murder. I, I guess that sounds like it justifies it, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I just to me what's so unique about this case is. There's no red flags to me when I look yeah. at this guy's life. The way he's described is that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of friends, but it's not like he's a complete loner. He doesn't really play sports. He doesn't date or go to parties. He's not very popular, but people would also say he's not unpopular. It's not like he's the victim of aggressive
0: bullying. He just kind of kept to himself. His friends... No, I mean, we yeah. just covered a guy that that whose uh, hobby was also harming sex workers. And yeah. you'll recall that guy grew up and he had acne and a stutter and was totally ostracized from his community and girls wouldn't date him. And I, I this is not what I'm getting with Khalil. No, right? his
1: friends, like he does have friends. They say he's funny. They say he's got kind of a nerdy sense of style. He wears plaid shirts tucked into ironed khakis and plain white Nikes. Again, nothing that's... I mean, of course he's not
0: going to walk around being like with a shirt that says, I'm a serial killer. Right, because the word that comes up over and over again is regular. Totally. (laughs) This is a regular guy. He's tall. He's good looking. And he's out there doing things. He has hobbies other than murder. um, You know, he does DJ and that does sound like someone that likes having a good time. You know, and, and also he's comes from Means because he drives a silver BMW. Yeah, he's a security and let's guard. And let talk more about coming from Means because, yes, it's like his family has this history of working in law enforcement, right. and at the time all these uh, women aren't coming home, Khalil's stepdad lives with him and is a police detective in East Orange. So in other words, while these murders are being committed, they're being committed by someone under the same roof as a detective. And his uncle is a retired detective from Newark police, which again
1: is where Robin was murdered in Newark.
0: So wild. I wonder, uh I wonder what these family dinners look like to be a fly on the wall. Well and I like mean, to understand if they're seeing anything out of the ordinary and brushing it aside, or if there really was absolutely no signs to be ascertained. Well, I'm so curious. Well we do know um, which again,
1: his phone will eventually become a plethora of evidence against him. But we do know based on his search history that he is looking into how to become a police officer. And from my sort of like Ugh. it's that's Ugh. very scary for many reasons. But I but for me it feels like what is this power dynamic that he is playing with? Okay. Right? Yeah. Like it's giving a little bit incel, sure, but also like this person is coming from a well-to-do home, you know, a safe home, and he is attacking people who are vulnerable, unhoused, deal with mental health issues at this point, um, a vulnerable population. And so, I'm I'm curious as to what the power differential is, and why that would feel like he's lend, like that, like he wants to go into the police force, and why
0: he's committing these atrocious murders. Right. If he wants to have control in that way as well. It's so interesting when that happens, when criminals are either already involved Mm -hmm. in the police force or want to be. And it does feel like they want um, control that free pass. Or it's like he's doing this in plain sight and no one sees it. He's under, you know, the power trip of doing this in a house with detectives and not being detected. And then the idea that you'd become one yourself And be like, now I look even more like I blend into the public so I can maybe get away with even more. Terrifying.
1: I mean, we do know that his parents or his mom, rather, because obviously his dad, but his mom throughout the entire trial that we'll go through, which I can talk about later, but she's by his side the entire time, you know. So it just to me, it feels like he's and he'll he will maintain his innocence, still to this day.
0: Let's go back to early 2016. Now, this is before Robin and Joanne went missing, before their bodies were found. Tiffany Taylor gets introduced to Khalil through a friend, and they start hanging out they start to become friends. Now, at the time, she's much older than Khalil. She's 33, and he's 20. So remember, he can't go to a bar to hang out. He can't even buy alcohol to bring home. What they're doing is she's driving over to his house to hang out with him, and they're playing NBA 2K16, which Translate I am reading 20, in the notes. Translates to 2K16. Is it, does it?
1: Well, 2K is 2016, so it'd be like NBA 2016,
0: 2K16. Why don't they just turn the K into because a zero? It's a Why do they game. make it confusing Quinn for people I, like me? Listen,
1: you're asking me, and I don't know about games. The closest I ever got was I have like a little Game Boy Advance where
0: I played Super Mario Brothers. That's it for me. Yeah. I'm a Mario Kart girl myself, so this is over my head, but from what I understand, based on being able to read the notes in front of me, it is a basketball video game. Is that right? You know what? I assume NBA does tie into basketball. I think like <laughs> if I were to use context, there's a lot clues. of clues here, folks.
1: Who needs and... who needs a detective now? We got Quinn and Carey
0: on the case. Don't <laughs> Lord, help us. Well, so even though their relationship, Tiffany and Cleo, is that they're pals, um, he does seem to want things to get physical. So he's asking her to hook up a lot. She says he was obsessed, and that she kept saying no because he was young and he was sleeping with some of her friends, and she just didn't want to deal with him. Yeah, but and like, a- I think that this thirty-three-year-old woman is like, I don't mind playing um, your NBA basketball game with you, sir. But anything more than that, it's going to be a hard pass. But he's pretty persistent. I don't know if
1: you've met a 20-year-old man, but they really, (laughs) there's a lot. with their dicks. (laughs) To say the very least. Um, And he eventually wears her down to where she agrees to see him in an intimate setting. However, she's got other plans. She's not going to go there. She has no plans. She has no intentions of having sex with him. But she is planning on robbing him. So it's, it's April nineteenth, twenty sixteen. She heads to his house around eight o'clock at night. He pays her two hundred dollars up front. Ha ha ha! She walks into his bedroom. She sees a little nightstand. Oh, and just a teeny tiny little twin bed. Because remember, he lives at home with his, with his family, family. So I feel like
0: this is like his childhood bedroom, and she sees this twin bed. I, Quinn, I, maybe I, he has like I just have to say Mickey right now, Mouse Club posters on the Quinn, wall. Quinn, I am mean,
1: in my childhood room right now as we record this, <gasps> and behind me- Do you have a twin? I have a twin bed. Can you tell me Everyone in what up with a twin? world would I invite someone over for some hanky-panky, and they would see this and go, yeah, sounds good. See you there.
0: Absolutely well, not. Very beautiful she I might and say. My mom's I, I do think Tiffany sees the twin bed and is like, "Hard pass for me." But this wasn't her plan anyway. Uh, she's got that two hundred. He paid her up front, like Carrie said. So Tiffany's like, "Oh, darn it, darn it! Oops, I left the condoms in my car. Wouldn't you know it? I'll be right back." <sighs> Can we get a sound effect of a car just screeching, tires peeling <laughs> away, screeching out of the neighborhood? <laughs>
1: So Tiffany is $200 richer, but at this time, her life takes a major hit. Her mom has been diagnosed with cancer, um, and so she is feeling the burden of being a caretaker for someone who is going through a really horrific illness, right? So she's feeling rent bills back up she's feeling the burden of these medical bills um and yeah. they end up and they end up getting evicted from their home and so she has to sleep in her car and by November terrible. so again we're flashing forward this is after um, This is after both Robin and Joanne have both gone missing. It's November, and Tiffany's kind of on this new hustle. She works for a drug dealer, and so what she does is she goes out to source the drugs, to buy drugs, and when she returns to the drug dealer, the drug dealer will pay her for
0: the drugs plus some. So she's almost like getting a finder's fee, if you will. Yeah, but if you think about that, you're really seeing how expensive drugs are, because then he's got to mark them up to sell them. Wow. Well, I
1: think, I, yeah, that's true, but also I'm sure she's getting to. don't, you know what? I, I don't know the economics of drug deals. I, I might be having to look for a job doing one soon, so I, I'll keep you posted on it. Okay, thank you.
0: You're welcome. Around this time, Tiffany starts getting texts from a number begging her to have sex with them. She doesn't know who this is, but sex work is not something that is off the table in Tiffany's life. So it's not sending any major red flags to her. I think that if anything, it is just intense how persistent the person is that is texting this over and over and over again. She's not feeling it. So she actually ends up changing her phone number. But then the unknown number that was texting her before texts the new number. And this person is just offering Tiffany more and more money, and the auntie gets so high that she's like, ah, how am I going to say no to this? This is getting crazy. Uh, maybe it's even curiosity uh, that, that gets her in the end, but she's like, all right, let's set something up, and of course, this person with so much money to offer wants to meet at the Ritz Hotel on November 15th, 2016, but her plan is no different than her plan was the night she went into Khalil's house to have sex with him. She's not at the Ritz to have sex. She's at the Ritz to see if she can get away with stealing some money and running. Because at the time, she is four months pregnant. And I don't think she's in the mood to have hanky-panky with this weirdo that's been nonstop texting her for months. But. She's got those medical bills. She's got uh, this car she's living out of. And now she has a kid on the way. Money's really important right now. It's a life or death thing for her. So this guy arrives at the Ritz Hotel. And just to be clear...
1: When you say the Ritz Hotel, we're not talking like Ritz-Carlton. This is like a motel situation. Oh, really? Not... I, put, I pictured putting on the Ritz. Is that You know wrong? what? I think that hotel is hoping that you associate it with that and book it sight This is unseen. like when Giuliani
0: booked the four yes, seasons? Yes, this is
1: exactly that. No okay. question. Because I think she's actually in this room. I think she's at this hotel with the drug dealer she works for. I think uh-huh. they're in the same room. And so... This mystery man pulls up at 7.51 p.m., and she opens the door, and she gets a bit of a shock because standing before her is a gentleman, um, but she can't see his face because he's wearing a black ski mask, he's also wearing some black gloves, a hat, and a hooded black sweatshirt. And you might think, wow, is it chilly out? To which I will reply, no, it is not. It's 50 degrees outside, but... Again, I think with sex work, you understand people want to function with anonymity, so she's going, I guess I can look past this. I'm going to rob this guy anyway, so let's go. So he pays Tiffany $80 in cash, and the two of them get in her car, and they drive to wherever he wants to go. So again, I think when we tell these stories, I think what's so interesting about these sex workers in these situations is they are sort of behaving ...at the top of their intelligence in that they are using their car. They are writing down license plate numbers. They are calling their friends. You know, they're doing everything they can to sort of have some semblance of control in this situation. But as they're driving, this mystery man in the black ski mask has asked her, Hey, can we pull over? I actually have to pee. So she says, Okay. She pulls over the car. He gets out. Um, The next thing Tiffany knows, she's been knocked unconscious.
0: When Tiffany comes to and regains consciousness, she realizes that she has handcuffs on and that man in the ski mask is sexually assaulting her and choking her in the backseat of the car. And she remembers that he says to her, do I look familiar? You don't remember me? You took my money. So basically, without saying it, he is telling her it's me, Khalil.
1: During the attack, he has wrapped duct tape around her head, and he starts to cover her nose and mouth, which is lethal. And somehow during this ordeal, again, she's coming to with this guy with his hands around her neck, raping her. I just, it's, because it's not totally clear if he hit her unconscious or, you know, Mm -hmm. chloroform. We, We don't know how she became unconscious, but that's how she comes to, which is just absolutely horrifying so crazy um but somehow she's able to communicate that these handcuffs are too tight on her wrist and he ends up loosening them which i think for her gives her some information of hey this guy maybe i can maybe i can manipulate him he has not made up his mind yet so he loosens the handcuffs and he keeps talking. He says things like, you know, don't worry. I've done this before. And when I'm finished, I'll care. (laughs) Why would
0: that make you not worry? I'm sorry, but hearing that you've done this before, it's not calming me down at all. Well, it seems like it's
1: probably a chaotic moment. And so I don't know. I don't know if anyone like,
0: um, I'm an
1: expert at rape, miss. (laughs) Don't worry. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think she's just, again, we've talked about this in spoiler alert survivor stories. It's like you're taking everything they say and you're committing it to memory. And every every action that they are doing, you're calculating in your head of how can I use this later? How can I use this to help my escape? And he says that when he's finished, he's going to carry her body to the trunk of the car. Remember, it's her car.
0: So scary. So scary. so scary. What ends up happening is she is crying and she bites her own tongue and so there's tears on her face there's blood on her face and it does start to loosen the tape that he's put all over her face and she is now able to be understood and she's saying to him please don't kill me I'm pregnant and he says I know which, like, just to have somebody coldly react that way, it's like, first of all, it confirms exactly what she thinks, that I know this person. And it's also somebody saying, it's another way of saying, I don't give a shit. Totally.
1: And I think at this point, again, like, you're, you're taking and you're inputting all of the things that are happening and trying to figure out how to best leave this situation alive. So she thinks, okay, this is personal. He knows me. So I know him. So what if I use that? So while she's in the backseat, she's telling him that, hey, I I do remember you. In fact, in my phone, which is back at the hotel, it has your Facebook page, your name, your address. And since it's back at the hotel, if I disappear, they're going to look through my cell phone. They're going to see who I've been in contact with. And that's been you. They're going to be able to track you down. So here's the deal. We should go back to the hotel so I can get this phone so you feel better about deleting it so they can't trace me back to you, I think is what she's saying in this moment. So she's trying to manipulate him or, you know, just maybe keep him talking and maybe just find a way to get back to the hotel. It's so crazy
0: because you're like, Khalil, uh, word of advice. If you're raping somebody and you're almost going to kill them, that person- they're not looking out for you. They're not worried about you. But he weirdly believes that that is what is going on. Well, I don't he's think like, she, good point. I don't
1: think he's worried about go get her that phone. looking out for him. I think he's going. Oh shit! You're right. I do need that phone. Okay. 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 What's my next plan?
0: Right. I mean, yeah. And she's got other that's plans. That's she was banking <laughs> she, yeah, exactly. on, and he falls for it. Yeah. I and mean, he drives back to the hotel, and you know he's even talking to her. Like their friends again on the way back to the hotel, meaning that he's, you know, whining and bitching about his own life, you know, kind of trying to explain himself, I suppose, to her and why he raped her. Nobody wants me. Nobody likes me. Why do I have to pay for a girl to show me attention? Guess what? She doesn't care. Like, you're, it's so <laughs> insane
1: to me. But I also think, too, as we talked about it earlier, of this, like, power differential, I think he probably, I mean, from my assumption, is he likes to have control and power over these women. And I think in that way, he thinks he's better than all these women. So maybe he thinks he's going Well, can this woman her. in particular exactly. emasculated him by robbing yes. him. Yes, yes. So this is payback as well. And what's amazing is while he's sort of, you know, whining and complaining after he raped her, she's in the backseat and she's got survival on the mind. You know, she is going to get out of this through hell or high water and she's double jointed. So when he loosened those handcuffs, she is able to slide her wrist out of one of the handcuffs. So she now has a hand free. And again, she can't show him, right? She needs to protect this secret that she has from him. And so she start, she's starting to go through the what ifs or how am I going to get out of here? So she thinks, okay, I have one hand free and I have another with handcuffs. I can, if he goes past the hotel, if he doesn't stop where he's planning on it, I can reach across his neck from the back seat and I can strangle him. However, this is going to make the car crash, so that's obviously not, like, the best thing I want to do, but ending in a crash where
0: he's injured is going to be good for her for sure. Now, that's crazy because it's, again, the parallel of this and the Butcher Baker where we had Cindy in the back of the car doing the same thing. who was like, should I throw the blanket over his head no he'll just crash and like the the women in these situations just spinning ideas of how to survive
1: and then she's going okay if he does stop at the hotel like he's asking i have to slip my hand back into the cuffs so he doesn't know that i'm free and she will go along with him knowing that she can extricate her hand from this cuff at any time and she'll have the Mm -hmm. opportunity to
0: run away Right. But what ends up happening is Khalil does pull up to the hotel. He wants that phone. So Tiffany slips the cuff back on. And when she gets out of the back seat, Khalil puts a coat over her shoulders so that when they walk into this hotel, you can't tell that she's cuffed, which is great for her because now she's covered. Like basically without knowing it, he helps her with this plan. (laughs) So when they get to the hotel room door, she knocks... Her friend opens the door, and as soon as that door's open, boy, he must have given her enough space to do this, which is wild. She pushes into the room, slams the door, and locks it. He is now locked on the outside of the room, and you will not believe what he says to her. You lied. Well duh. Yeah. Khalil, no where shit. have you been, man? <laughs> and also, like, you raped me. Like, you just tried to kill me. I'm in trouble for lying. Either way, friendship off, I would argue. Oh, so there's like a window next to the door. One of those hotels, you're right, this is not the Ritz. <laughs> and she pulls open the curtain to the window and she shows him her uncuffed wrist. Like, I'm out of them. I had you. And he runs.
1: So here she is. She has one cuff on her hand and she immediately calls the police on the friend's phone. But before he can like fully get away, because remember, he has the keys to her car, she calls the police and then she calls Khalil. She calls this guy back because she has his phone number and he picks up. And so she's like, Listen, if you bring the keys back, I haven't called the police. If you bring the keys back. You know, we could just call it even. And he goes back to the hotel. He goes back to the hotel. Scene so you know of the crime. And he sees all
0: the police there. He drops the keys and
1: he books it out of there.
0: But he goes back. I would argue he probably yells, You lied when he sees all the police. <laughs> You lied a second time to me. Here he is in his Gosh, black Khalil. ski
1: mask, and he just like drops it off at the at the stairs, and just like runs away. It's so like again, this guy's an idiot, and I'm glad he's an idiot because it leads to him getting caught.
0: And you gotta say to yourself, well, there it is, there it is, because she has his uh, name, she has his Facebook, she has she- his address, she's everything. They can do a rape kit. They have the handcuffs that have probably fingerprints. They have the car that has fingerprints. The hotel probably has security. I mean, it's not the Ritz, but it might have security cameras for them to look at. But here's the thing. That is not what happens.
1: It is is truly bonkers to me. But she's going to later testify in court at his trial that the police who arrived on the scene, they didn't really believe her story. I mean- they recognize that she's a sex worker. So she says that they were more focused on trying to pin her for prostitution. And what makes me so sick is I think that's also why Khalil Wheeler Weaver targeted these people because he knew they wouldn't be believed because he knew they were a marginalized group in society. And the fact is is the police come to this and they think that, I mean, they don't fully believe her story. And what's even crazier to me, Quinn, is that she's sitting here telling this harrowing story. She has names, emails, and keep in mind, they should have a database with this guy who was a person of interest in Robin's disappearance, right? Because remember he was interviewed for Mm -hmm. that as well. She has the handcuff still to her wrist. It takes her an hour of begging to get them to finally remove
0: the cuff from her wrist. And they don't listen to her, they don't take her seriously, and Khalil Wheeler Weaver goes free. Selling a little or a lot?
1: At this point, we have three women who've been attacked, two murdered. One of them has survived. And two of the three have direct connections to Khalil Wheeler-Reaver. So the police have his information, but have they arrested him yet? Nope. Not at all. No. So what do you think? And it, to be clear, I do want to say at this point, because it is December, it's November, they, have st- they still have not found Joanne Brown's body, right? She's found December 5th. So at this point, mm-hmm. they have one body, they have one person missing, and they have one survivor. And two of them have connections to Cleo Wheeler-Weaver. But he has not been arrested. He he is just kind of chilling at home. So what do you think is going to do? Killer's going to keep killing. And
0: he's a killer. So he's on the prowl for some more victims. In 2016, Sarah Butler is a sophomore at New Jersey City University. She's home from school visiting her family in Montclair for Thanksgiving. Now, she's the first person in her family to enroll in college, and it's a big deal. But she hasn't made a bunch of friends yet at school, and she's feeling homesick. She doesn't really like it there. do
1: Do you remember the first semester going away to college? Oh.
0: I called my mom all the time and was like get, get me, me out. out get me of out of here. here. Yeah, I think college it's a very normal. Horribly traumatized. Yeah,
1: you're let's it's the first time you're away from home and I can't imagine the pressure of being the first kid in school. It's I mean, it must mm-hmm. be hard to call family and go I'm not making any friends and they're like but you're in college, you know. It's like I I that must you've be really it. hard. You've done you've made your way. Yeah, that must be
0: really hard. No, I was super homesick too. I wanted to go home all the time and my mom kept doing well this is some good advice. My mom kept saying things like just get to Thanksgiving yes, break my t- my mom and then we'll, did we'll my rediscuss yeah, it sure. and then you get there and then it's like, okay, well, it'd be silly for you to not finish the semester because you want the credits yes. and you just keep pushing it so that it becomes like, now I'm happy, yeah, you know, totally. like, now I did make friends because it takes a long time to adjust, I think. And sometimes you just for have me. to
1: stick it out for sure.
0: Right. Um, one of the friends she does happen to make, unfortunately for her is Khalil. Well, she meets him on an app. She's on an app called Tagged.
1: And it's listed as a sort of dating site or social media networking site of the sort. Um, You can meet partner, companions, whatever. And Khalil is on this
0: site, um, and he is listed as Little Yacht Rock. Which sounds fun. Everybody wants to know somebody that is little, has a yacht, and likes to rock. Yeah.
1: Well, his other name that was reported elsewhere is Pimp Killer Ghost. Hmm, that's, that's a little a more for- on the nose. Um, don't love it. So Sarah, to be clear, has never done sex work in the past, but she's on the dating app, and she gets connected to Khalil through his username, Lil Yacht Rock. And in their messages, which we have, is the following. Khalil writes, you want to make money? And then he writes, sex for money? And Sarah responds, wow, well, how much money? Khalil says, how much you looking for? Sarah responds five hundred, and then she writes, "You're not a serial killer, right?" LMAO. He responds,
0: "No." I don't know. Just the the really brief no would give me pause. No, like th- he doesn't get the joke, so he's like, "No, uh, who told you that?" I mean, no.
1: I mean, I think it's knowing not what a we great response. Is, I mean. To be clear, I think this person's a sophomore in college, and you know, I think we all make mistakes when we're in college. And no, I money. don't want to
0: victim blame her. I'm just saying that looking at it uh, with hindsight, being 2020, it no, is, I didn't think uh, you were victim Jarring to me, it's,
1: <laughs> it's that, that jarring. Thing where it's like just the no. Well, I think too, it's that it's that feeling of being like you're not a serial killer, right? It's because we're telling you, ha, we're ha, telegraphing ha. like our biggest fear is that someone on this site will want to hurt us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're going, hey, right? And if we say it, it's probably not true. Because if they are, they'll be spooked by me even questioning that, right? It's like, I don't think any response considering what we know would be okay. Like, could he have said, yeah, for sure. We would have been like, oh,
0: God. Thought that was Do you know what I mean? Like, like, I just feel like, no. I feel like any 20-year-old would be like, no,
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. You know, I had a friend that happened too, that she was on a dating app and the guy wanted to meet her in a park at night. And she said something oh my about, God, yes. um, you know, if something were to happen to me, my mom would never forgive me for meeting a guy in a park at night. And then he went nuts on her he, yes. in the app and like yelled at her He was like, and was "You like, and like, I wouldn't men. want to date you anyway. Yeah. You like, And I was like, I think that guy might've been a killer. <laughs> it's like, if you can't understand why a woman would have to be cautious about
1: going to a secluded place in a dark with a person they've never met in real life why they would be cautious buzz off buzz the off sarah at this point goes okay like i'll meet you and she meets him at an earlier date and then she stands him up she's like sorry i got afraid i didn't want like she she agrees to meet him earlier
0: and then Mm -hmm. and then she bails so maybe her blink was going off, I think, it was. I, I think it might've been, but then eventually she she does. And that's why it's a blink. It's your first impression is the right one or could be and listen to it because you can talk yourself in or out of a feeling. And she does. She, she somehow talks herself out of it or, or doesn't listen to her gut. And eventually she decides, yeah, I'm going to go meet this guy on November 22nd. She asks to borrow her mom's minivan and she leaves. And that is the last time she is seen alive.
1: What's crazy to me is that like all these victims, I mean, well, the Tiffany and Sarah, it's their car. They're using Mm -hmm. their vehicles, which again is like, I think another sort of tactic of like, at least I can leave whenever I want. Right. Mm. Like there is something unless you
0: never leave. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think like all the, like we look at Robin and Joanne and, you know, what steps they took to be cautious in pursuing this work. And we look at Tiffany and everybody did
0: different things to be cautious in this situation. Not any of these women you you look at and you say they were all exercising caution in some way or another, but sometimes it's just not enough. Yeah. I think that's what's so heartbreaking, obviously.
1: But not that if anyone wasn't, you know, using caution, it wouldn't be equally as heartbreaking. I think it's just, I think what's so striking to me as a woman is like, it just really sucks that even if you take precautions, it's sometimes it's just never enough, no matter how much like perceived control you have of a situation. When Sarah Butler does not return home, her family immediately panics. Um, they become concerned, and they contact the police, and they report her as missing the next day on November 23rd because
0: her leaving like this is incredibly unlike her. Then... They find Sarah's car on November 25th, and they find it within a mile of Khalil's home. Mm-hmm. One of her sisters,
1: Basania Daly, and her two friends, Lamia Brown and Samantha Rivera, they love her, they're worried about her, they immediately start to do some recon on their end. They immediately hack into Sarah's phone because Lamia actually knows her computer password. So they log into all of her social media accounts and they start looking for last communications, any information that Mm -hmm. they can find. And of course, they log into Tagged and they find her conversation with Lil Yacht Rock, including all of the time that they're going to meet up and this conversation about money and sex works and things like that.
0: Yeah, and I think seeing that, like, the first thing he said to her, one of the first was, will you have sex with me for money? It seems like this might be an easy guy to lure. So they do something really smart. They set up their own fake account on Tagged. They make a profile, and they like Lil Yacht Rock's profile. And within an hour of doing this, I mean, he's on the prowl, and he has had no consequence, Lil Yacht Rock contacts them and says, will you meet me? I'll give you money for sex, just like he did with Sarah. And Samantha Rivera is like, we've got this guy. Let's go. And they drive over to the police station in Montclair. And they're like, knock, knock, knock. Our friend is missing. You have a missing report on them. We got into her computer. She was just talking to this person before she went missing. He was offering her money for sex. He is now doing the same to us, and we have him on the line. We're going to, like, keep you posted. So they're hanging out at the station with their phone, with the police, and suddenly Khalil calls them. Sarah's sister answers the phone and arranges a meeting at the local Panera Bread. Can we get some
1: sponsorship from Panera Bread? No,
0: I think probably what's, not. probably not in this context, what I
1: think is so crazy too about this is that the police, you know, in order to do any of this, they would need a warrant. They would need probable cause. I mean, which I think frankly, between you and I, I do think that they probably have it. enough probable cause, but I think how quickly her sister and her friends set this up and set this plan into motion is is shocking because it's only three days after she's been reported missing. On November 26th, Khalil pulls up in his silver BMW into the Panera Bread parking lot. He thinks he's going to go in, get a little soup in a bread bowl. Well, jokes on you, Khalil, because the police and No combos him. for no, you, Khalil. combos for you. The police stop him. They question him about Sarah's disappearance. But here's the issue. They don't have a body They don't have much Mm -hmm. other information. They can't hold him. So he's not immediately arrested and he's let go. Well, he's let go, but things have changed, Things have changed in the police's mind. I think before he was a pretty strong person of interest, but after his trip to Panera, and I think because they saw how quickly he engaged um, Sarah's friend, just like he engaged Sarah, that they were like, Mm -hmm. this guy worked too fast and he for sure has been upgraded to a you-pick plus
0: full-fledged suspect. For sure. Now, Sarah's body does get found about a week later on December 1st, and she has been buried under a pile of leaves on the Eagle Rock Reservation. She was strangled with a pair of sweatpants. So just to clarify they find
1: Robin's body September 1st and they identify her about 2 weeks later they then find just in chronological order they find Sarah Butler's body on December 1st and then they find um and then they find Joanne Brown's Brown. body on December 5th so at this yeah. point they have they definitely have Sarah Butler tied to Khalil Wheeler Weaver um and What they're able to do is connect these three murders um, one at a time. Of course, Sarah Butler's, I think, is the first one that they're able to fully connect with them because they have all of the phone records. But then they find out that they look into Sarah's death and they find out because she was strangled in a similar way to Joanne Brown with articles of clothing, they're able to sort of tie those two together. So with these discoveries, the police are finally able to make their move. On December 6th, 2016, Khalil is arrested and charged with just Sarah Butler's murder. They have enough evidence Mm -hmm. to tie that to him. And he is initially held on a $1 million bond. But again, they arrest him on December 6th, which is a day after they found Joanne Brown's body. And so with all of that information as well, they're now able to add Joanne Brown's murder to his charges. And then they raise his bail to $5 million.
0: Now, part of this investigation allows police to gain access to Khalil's cell phone records, and that includes Google Maps. Oh, Khalil, not only did these phone records put him at the location of the victims the day they were alleged to have been killed, but there is a Google Map, there's data in Google Maps that shows him navigating from the murder location to his own home multiple times. And visiting... They find the treasure trove in here, right? And I think
1: that's why they're able to connect Robin's murder to him as well. Because they're able to see that he did travel to that abandoned building and light it on fire. Then they see him going home. Then they see him return to that to watch the fire ablaze. Mm -hmm. So he's returning Mm -hmm. to all the scenes of the crime. In fact, when Sarah Butler borrows her mom's minivan to pick him up, she picks him up in front of the abandoned building... Where Joanne Brown's body is decomposing behind him. They have all of this information. And it's like, it's so crazy to me because he's going to plead not guilty. And it just begs the how, question how, how can you? How? All of this is coincidence. You being there the exact same time the timestamps are, it makes no sense. And I'm so glad for these cell phone towers and this geolocation for catching this guy. He is charged with three murders, desecration of human remains, and aggravated arson. He is also charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated sexual assault for his attack on Tiffany Taylor. He, of course, pleads not guilty and he adds that he thinks he's being framed by the Essex County Prosecutor's Office.
0: Right, because they have it in for all the detectives you live with? I don't think so. Ugh. Before trial, his attorney wants to separate each charge so that he would be tried separately for each incident. Sounds like a really... Well, it's a smart A lot move. of time in court. Well,
1: it's also a smart move, I think, because the way that they're able to connect him to all three crimes is because
0: they're all citing evidence and others. Yeah, that's exactly what the judge thinks because the attorney says, oh, it'll be prejudicial for the jury to hear evidence from all four of these crimes and then decide guilt to any one of them. And the judge is like, no, we're going to do a single trial because there is common scheme. There is common motive. This is a case that is important to sort of show the profile of what this person's, um, what do you call it? MO, Mo modus operandi? Modus operandi? yes.
1: I never know if it's operandi yes, or
0: operandi modus operandi. What do you think? I like modus operandi. Die. Like- I think it's die only because I don't and- like the word randy being in it. <laughs> don't offend our randy
1: audiences, both in okay. in feeling and name. If you're randy <laughs> as a feeling as a person, or your name is Randy, we're so sorry. Please keep tuning in. Don't don't include me in Quinn's maligning of your name or f- feeling. Okay, <laughs> so. Khalil Wheeler Weaver's trial lasts for two months and his mom and his aunt sit behind him the entire trial. They are in full support of him, which again, I think also lends to what little we know about his childhood and life. I think they're, I, I yeah. think the sort of full radio silence about who he was is no coincidence in this moment. He never testifies in court. He never admits to committing the murders or attack if bravery had a face, it would be the face of Tiffany Taylor because Tiffany Taylor does a truly remarkable thing, which is she testifies a full day on the stand about her experience with Khalil Wheeler Weaver. She says with 100% certainty that he is the man who nearly killed her. She recounts the entire ordeal. I mean, I just... To have mm-hmm. a survivor be able to... Willing to do that. Yeah. And, willing to relive that trauma. And, and she's talked since about how the PTSD from after this, you know, she has taken such a huge emotional toll on her, as I'm sure is obvious by anyone who heard her ordeal. The jury deliberates for only three hours. That's too long for my mind, but the jury deliberates for three whole hours.
0: Well, they might have taken a two-and-a-half-hour lunch. I like to think they did. I do, too, because they think
1: included in the jury duty. Right.
0: Khalil Wheeler-Weaver is convicted of murder, desecrating human remains, kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated arson. Like you said, this guy's not budging, and at his sentencing, he says, my heart goes out to all the families. However, I was not the person who committed these crimes. Oh, Khalil, we have the phone, we have the Google Maps, we have Tiffany. I'm sorry, but you are. Khalil is sentenced to 160 years in prison for the murders of Sarah Butler, Joanne Brown, and Robin West, and for the attack on Tiffany Taylor.
1: And the story doesn't end there, because it's not totally over. Today, there is a case pending against him for a fourth victim, the murder of a 15-year-old girl. He has entered his plea of not guilty, and he is currently awaiting trial. I don't think it's a coincidence that he targeted this community. I don't think it's a coincidence that um, it escalated to beyond this community, right? Mm -hmm. I think it seems, I am curious of like what his motive was with Tiffany Taylor in their first meeting before she robbed him. You know, you do wonder, you know, what he's done. before this for it to suddenly get into murder. I, I can imagine there are more victims, that, as evidenced by the by the 15-year-old who was mur- found murdered within the same time frame of these, you know, within this four-month period. Because it was four victims, maybe five, just in a four-month period. Well, he period. hasn't been found
0: guilty for that yet. Exactly. But, but
1: I mean, when you look at we're it... We're no fan regardless. Yeah, it's I mean, I will say the evidence that ties him to the Google Maps It is a person who was involved with sex work. It's like a lot of similarities. Um, But I do want to talk about these victims because he did target women who were, um, who participated in sex work and, you know, had a history of mental health issues or at Mm -hmm. some point were unhoused or had drug abuse issues. So that is not who these women were. They were more than that. They were beautiful people. You know, Robin, Daphne, Michelle West, she was described as this really beautiful singer. She was incredibly adventurous. She was strong willed. In fact, her dad said she loved her family. She was just a caring and giving person. And she had a smile that could light up the room. Um, Joanne, people called her Billy Joe. Um, and she loved fashion. She loved styling her hair. Um, Tiffany Taylor is bravery <laughs> personified in how she has um, how she has spoken out against this and testified against him. And I also want to talk about Sarah Butler. Sarah Butler, um, again, was the first of her family to go to college, as we mentioned. But she was also an incredibly talented dancer. Ever since childhood, she she performed modern, African, jazz, ballet. Um, she actually performed with her dance company at the Apollo Theater Amateur Night, and they won third place, which is really amazing. And just want to mention that at her funeral, there was a special performance by her dance company and it was incredibly moving to see photos of her dance company dancing in front of her casket and she was loved um so I do want to just highlight these beautiful women who were taken too soon and I and I think you know this person it what's so shocking about it is there's just no rhyme or
0: reason there's no you know I <laughs> we don't know what made him a killer we don't know what snapped in this person's brain because like we told you everything this was a recipe for somebody to go on to have a completely normal successful life and uh something was off there because here we have a serial killer on our hands instead i'm just so glad he was an idiot and got caught before any more people got hurt me too that is the only silver lining quite literally the only silver lining well, tell us what you guys thought about this case. Hit us up at hashtag crimeofalifetime on social media and... Yeah, let us know what you think. But also, I, I'm just going to say again, you know,
1: this is our second to last episode of Crime of a Lifetime. And then Quinn and I are going to be going over to our other podcast, Truly Darkly Creeply. So this won't be the end of our beautiful relationship. It's only the beginning. Um But Crime of a Lifetime is winding down. So again, find us on Truly Darkly Creeply feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it might just be the case we talk about next. We use many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most useful were the following. An article from the Record and NorthJersey.com entitled, How a Group of Women Stopped a New Jersey Serial Killer. An article in the Washington Post entitled, Serial Killer Khalil Wheeler-Weaver is Sentenced to 160 Years in Prison. And reporting from NJ.com.
0: If you'd like to learn more about this story, we highly recommend you check out these sources. Time of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins.
1: Our associate producers are Hazel May and
0: us, Quinlan Posner
1: and Carrie Epimow.
0: Our sound designer and editor is Arlen Ginsberg.
1: Our senior producer is John Thrasher.
0: McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer and Jesse Katz is our executive producer.
1: If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see
0: you next week. Copyright 2023, A&E Television Networks, LLC.